So tonight's topic, as you mentioned, is... Hi, Rabbi Schaefer here, and I'm very excited to tell you about the new Schmooze book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. Over the past 15 years or so, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples, and I can't tell you the amount of times I look and say, why are you doing this? Do you understand what the relationship needs? Do you understand what your spouse is thinking? I put together this book to detail some of the really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, and the book has been extremely well-received. We sent out about a 1,000 pre-publication copies to Huston and college teachers, to marriage therapists, and the reviews have been really, really very heartening. If you'd like to get a copy, it's available on Amazon. It's available in your local bookstores. It's also available on theschmooze.com. If you purchase it on theschmooze.com, in addition to the hard-covered book, you'll also get the audio book as well as the ebook as a free bonus. If you'd like to do that, please go to theschmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll greatly benefit from it. Thank you. Is Hishtadlis and Bitochan finding the balance? And finding the balance is not simple. It is something that we Jews struggle with, and more than anything, before we actually struggle with the life issues, it becomes, first of all, an academic question. What is the right amount of Ishtadlis, and what is the right amount of Bitochan? I know Hashem's involved in everything, so does that mean I'm supposed to do nothing? Am I supposed to do everything? What's Hashem's role? What's my role? So we're going to see if we could sort of work this out tonight to at least get a intellectual understanding and then maybe even some practical applications. So let's begin the process with the following. I'd like to start with two seemingly contradictory Gemaras. And these Gemaras will define for us sort of the different ranges of Bitochen and Ishtadlis. Let's start with number one. The exact dollar amount that a person is to make this year is set between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, except for money that he spends on Shabbos, Yontav, and Otsos Bundle of the Talmud Torah, and his children's Torah studies. Okay, a very well-known Gemara. The exact dollar amount to make this year, whether it's $5,000, $50,000, $500,000, that exact dollar amount is set, with the exception of Shabbos, Yontav, and Otsos Bundle of the Talmud Torah, Torah study for my children. That is sort of a flex account. If I spend more, I get more. I spend less, I get less. But other than that, the exact dollar amount is set. Okay, let's call that Exhibit A. The problem is, there's another Gemara in Brachas that seems to very much contradict that. Tanur Rabbanon. Arba Srichim Chizik. There are four areas of life that require constant chizik, constant reinvigorating, constant motivation. Ve'eluhem. Torah, Masin Tovim, Tefillah, and Derech First area that requires constant chizik is Torah. That should be clear enough. While Torah is beautiful, and it's certainly very enjoyable. It requires a lot of concentration, a lot of energy, and therefore it certainly makes sense why you have to constantly motivate yourself, constantly give yourself chizik. I get it. The second area that needs chizik is masim tovim. Learning to be other-centered is not so simple. We human beings are incredibly self-centered. We start as infants, utterly, completely absorbed with our own needs. To learn to be other-centered requires really kvisha sayetzer, it requires overcoming my natural limitations to learn to step out of my comfort zone, out of my natural bounds. So it certainly makes sense why that requires chizik, why it requires tremendous pushing. Tefillah, davening also makes sense. To close my eyes and recognize that I'm speaking to Hashem right here. Right here, having a conversation with the Creator of the heavens and the earth and requires tremendous chizik. Why? Because all of my senses deny Hashem's presence. 
I have to transcend physicality. I have to recognize truths that are beyond the physical. I have to recognize Hashem's presence. So certainly that requires chizik. Torah, Masim Tovim, Tefillah certainly makes sense why all these three require constant, invigorating, constant motivation. But listen to the fourth area. And the fourth area is Derech Eretz, earning a living. And Rashi makes it very clear. If you're a socher, if you're a merchant, you have to get up very early, go into the marketplace, find the opportunity. If you're a craftsman, you have to study your craft very well and be very diligent at it. If you're a warrior, you have to go out there with full energy. You have to constantly psych yourself up and constantly motivate yourself because these four areas require chizik. Now here's the problem. If I know the exact dollar amount that I'm going to make this year is set, okay, work a couple of hours a day to earn a living, go out there, find any old job. What I have to constantly invigorate myself, find the right opportunities, find the marketplace, go out there and seize the moment, take it slow. Shem runs the world, the exact dollar amount is set. These two Gemaras seem to be an open contradiction. And to answer this contradiction, what we need to do is we need to tease apart these two factors, Hashem's role in the equation and our role in the equation. What's Hashem's part? What's our part? So let's begin with Hashem's part in the equation. The Sefer Chinuch tells us that there is a mitzvah of losikam, do not take revenge. But he says, don't take revenge because of a very great principle. Don't take revenge not because it's bad for your midos, which it is, don't take revenge not because it's going to cause tremendous unrest and cause hard feelings. It will, but that's not the reason. Explain to Sefer Chinuch, don't take revenge because if you do, you're imputing powers to man that he doesn't have. If I take revenge, I'm pretending that you can harm me. If I take revenge, I'm implying that you cause me damage, you cause me harm, and I'm taking revenge against that. And what I'm doing is under... I'm basically undoing my emuna because I have to recognize that no harm can befall me that Hashem doesn't decree. Don't take revenge because I'm imputing power to man that he doesn't have. I'm pretending that a human being can hurt me and the basic underpinnings of our religion is no human being can harm me. And in fact, the Chavaz Lovavos says it even more clearly. The basic underpinning of all bitachan is no human being can harm me no human being can help me. You can scheme, you can dream, you can't touch me. You could try to hurl insults, you could try to hurl rocks. I walk around with a protective loose sight bubble protecting me. As I walk down the street, there's no one can get into that bubble. Now there is no loose sight bubble, but my Creator, Hashem Himself is there protecting me, guiding me all day, every day. And as you cannot harm me, you can't help me either. If I'm not supposed to earn that money, and my friend can be the richest fellow in North America, he'll give me X amount of money, it'll go in this pocket, go out that pocket. If my time is up, my uncle could be the head of Sloan Kettering, but there's nothing he's going to do to change the outcome. As no human being can harm me, no human being can help me, I have to recognize my destiny is completely in the Yad Hashem. But if you'd like to understand how far this goes, I'll share with you an interesting observation. When I was a kid in grade school, I remember we had a teacher who taught us how to take a compliment. An important life lesson. She said, don't squirm, don't look away. You look the person in the eye and you say, thank you very much. That's an important life lesson, how to take a compliment. But I never had a teacher who taught us how to take an insult. 
But the Chovos of Ovos explains to us exactly how to take an insult. He says, when someone cuts into you, when someone rips into the essence of you, you're supposed to turn your eyes heavenwards and say the words, thank you Hashem for revealing a little of my many flaws. I'm supposed to recognize that those words were sent to me to be heard. I didn't ask you to be the nunnik to deliver the message, but there's someone up there who's sending that message to me. And if you'd like a muscle to what this really means, imagine we're, spe- we're in a large room, and I'm speaking into a microphone, and there are speakers in the back and the sides, and at a certain point I turn to you, I say, I call you every name in the book, You're and I insult you, and I, I lash into you. You turn red, you turn white, you stand up, you get so angry, you walk over to the speaker and boom, you punch it right in the subwoofer. Now, if you were to walk over to me and punch me, we could debate whether that's clever or not. But punching the loudspeaker is foolish because there's a human being who's speaking into the microphone and there's a message that's coming through the loudspeaker. I have to recognize when a human being insults me, Hashem delivered that message. He's but the loudspeaker. I'm supposed to turn my eyes heavenward and say, Hashem, I recognize you are the one who are delivering that message. If that nudnik had decided not to be the one, I would have suffered the same embarrassment. I would have dropped a hot a plate of hot soup. I would have tripped somewhere in public. But that pain was coming to me. I have to recognize that that was directed me from Hashem. No human being can harm me. No human being can help me. And that means in every endeavor in life, in every activity, in every situation, Hashem is there guiding involved, absolutely determining every single outcome of my existence. And that's Hashem's role in the equation. Everything. Everything from morning to night, big, little, everything. No blade of grass grows without Hashem involved in it. Nothing occurs to me. No pain, no joy, no success, no failure. Hashem involved in every activity of my life. Hashem determining every outcome. (coughs) Okay, so that's Hashem's role. So what's our part in the equation? If Hashem determines everything, and everything is made Hashem, what's our role in the equation? So to understand our role, we have to turn to a little bit different part of the Chumash. And, and Rabbeinu Machai makes a very important observation. Every word in the Torah is weighed and measured. All of the wisdom in creation, Hashem encapsulated within those very holy words. Yet there are certain parshas that seem a little curious. Explains Rabbi Machai, if you look at Parsha's Noah, you may have a very, very interesting question to ask. We're told the exact dimensions of the Teva 300 amas long, 50 amas wide, 30 amas tall. Ask Rabbi Machai, why do we, some 3,000 odd years later, need to know the exact dimensions of the Teva that doesn't seem very relevant to us? Explains Rabbi Machai, let's do the math. Let's imagine an ama. we'll call an ama two feet. So this teva was 600 feet long, 100 feet wide, 60 feet tall. If you think of all the animals in creation, the hippos, the rhinos, the elephants, the baboons, if you think about it, they couldn't possibly fit into such a teva. As a matter of fact, says Rebbein Rechai, if there were 50 such tevas, all the animals in creation could not fit into that. The Bronx Zoo only has 4,000 animals, and it's on 265 acres. And this teva that Noah built was tiny and couldn't possibly house all the animals in creation. And Rabbi Nuchai says that's exactly what the Torah is trying to teach us. 
You see, Noah could not possibly build a teva that would be large enough to house all the animals in existence. But Hashem said, you can't not do anything. You have to do as much as you can, and only once you've exhausted derech teva, the ways of nature, and then you rely on the miracle. How much can a man be expected to build? A teva, about 300 amas long, 50 amas wide, 30 amas, that's about what we can expect from a human being. Only once you've done your part, and then you can rely on the miracle. And what the Torah is teaching us is a tremendous concept. Noach knew there'd be nisim gluyim, huge animals which shrink in size. He was going to create a teva that couldn't possibly house the animals, and he knew that Hashem was going to bring a nase, but he had to go b'derech teva. he had to use the ways of the world to the full extent that he could, and only after that could he rely on the miracle. And Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, this is a principle that you'll see throughout Tanakh. Over and over, Hashem commands us, go in the ways of nature, and only once you've exhausted the derech teva, then can you rely on the nase. For instance, he says Yeshua. Yeshua is bringing the Klai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. <clears throat> Eretz Yisrael were fortified cities occupied by giants. Every single battle, <clears throat> the Jews were tremendously outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned. And they won every battle with Nisim Gluyim. There wasn't a single Jewish soldier that died. In one battle, at a certain point, one soldier died. The question was, who sinned? So says Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, wait a minute. And Yeshua knows, the client's role knows, that they're going to win with miracles because they can't fight giants occupying fortified cities. They knew there was going to be miracles. Why then did Yeshua tell the troops, put on your armor, sharpen your swords, get ready for battle? What do you have to put on the armor for? What do you have to sharpen your swords? It's going to be a miracle anyway. And explains Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, because that's exactly the principle. You have to go b'derech teva. The ways of the world are, you put on armor, you sharpen your sword, you get ready for battle, even though you know it's going to be b'derech nes, because you're obligated to go in the ways of the world, and only once you've exhausted the derech teva can you rely on the miracle. And if you want to see how far this principle goes, listen to what the Chovah of says. Hashem says to Shmuel Hanavi, Ma'asti, I've become disgusted with Shaul as a king. I no longer want Shaul to be the melech. I want you to go to Yishai, and one of his sons you're going to appoint, anoint as a new king. Shmuel says to Hashem, Eich Eilech, v'shama Shaul Vargeni. How am I going to go? Shaul's going to hear that I'm going to anoint another man in his stead, and he'll kill me. Says Hashem, okay. Eglach baka tikach biadecha. Take this eagle, take this little calf. You'll tell Shaul that you're bringing a carbon. He'll fall for the ruse. And then when you get to Yishai's house, I'll tell you which son of his you're going to anoint as the new king. Says the Chovah of stop, wait a minute. This is Hashem having a conversation with the Navi. And he says to the Navi, go. And the Navi says, Hashem, I can't. Big, powerful King Shaul is going to stop me. Hashem should have blasted him. Who gives life? Who gives death? Me, Who? How did he, how did Shemuel say those words? And why did Hashem give him tochacha? Explains the Chovah of The reason why Shemuel said that is because even a Navi Hashem, when given a directive from Hashem himself, is not allowed to put himself into a makam sakana. It was dangerous. He said to Hashem, I can't do that. And that's not the Torah way. Hashem said, you're right. Take this eagle, and you'll tell Shaul that you're going to bring a carbon. He'll fall for the ruse. Because even a Novi Hashem is not allowed to go outside of the Derech HaTeva. And what he did was correct and proper. And Rabbeinu Machai says, that's the principle we learn. The Kola Torah you have to go completely B'derech HaTeva, 
And only once you've mastered, only once you've got as far as you can, and then you can rely on the miracle. And I believe that's exactly the answer to these two Gemaras. Both are absolutely true, and both are completely consistent. I have to know that Hashem decrees exactly how much money I'm to make, and yet when I go out into the workforce, I have to be diligent, focused, I have to go through the motions like a man who's earning his living. And if you want a muscle to explain it, imagine we're at a play. And the last scene of the play, the two stars get into a fist fight. He punches, the other one ducks, he kicks, the other one, they grab each other, and they fall to the ground, the curtain comes down, the play is over. Okay. We go backstage <clears throat> ten minutes later, and you see the two actors, whoa, your punch tonight was so good, wow, and your kick, I almost missed it. And you see these guys, what are you doing? Ten minutes ago you were fighting, screaming, punching each other, what are you doing slapping each other on the back? They look, you say, what, fighting? <laughs> there was a choreographed fight scene. I was supposed to swing wide, he was supposed to duck. We were going through the motions. When I go into the marketplace, anyone seeing me has to see a man focused with a vision, and all the while I have to know I'm going through the motions. This is a choreographed fight scene. Exactly the outcome that Hashem has determined is what's going to be. Not a penny more, not a penny less. My job is to use the world in the ways of the world. Only once I've exhausted it, then I can rely on the miracle. And this concept applies to every aspect of life. <clears throat> when it's time to earn a living, you go out there and find a job. But not just any job. You have to ask yourself, what are your talents, what are your strengths, <clears throat> what are your natural gifts? And you have to go into the marketplace and find the best opportunity that will uh, allow you to earn a living. When it's <clears throat> time to be healthy and well, you have to exercise, you have to eat right. If you weigh 350 pounds, smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, have a heart attack at 35, don't go blaming God. Hashem, why me? Why me? Why me? You know why you? Because you're a walking heart attack. You have to guard your health. There's a derech teva. If you do your part, if you use the world in the ways of the world, then Hashem guarantees exactly the outcome that's supposed to happen will happen. But if you don't, all bets are off. Our job is to use the world in the ways of the world, knowing that Hashem determines every outcome. And I want to share with you how far this concept goes. Imagine with me for a moment that it's Rosh Hashanah. And imagine I'm in Shul Davening, I have my talus over my head, I'm shuckling away, and suddenly I hear a boss call, Shefer, yeah, what? I was sent from Shema, yeah, what, what, what? I was sent to tell you this year you'll earn $25 million. Whoa, 25 million bucks, that's great. I leave Shul happy as a lark, I quit my day job, I don't even look in the papers uh, online, I know exactly what's going to happen. <clears throat> what do you think is going to happen that year? What's likely going to happen is that I'm going to go hungry. Because you see, when Hashem decrees that I am to make $25 million that year, and that's provided I do my part. My part is to use the world in the ways of the world. And the normal Hishtadlis is you get a job, you have money, you invest it. But you have to use the world in the ways of the world. If I sit back and say, forget it, um, count me out of this thing, then all bets are off. Most likely what's going to happen is, it's not going to come about. Because you see, when Hashem decrees what's going to happen, Hashem doesn't hand shackle anyone to an outcome. There's a thing called Bechira. Hashem makes it accessible, it's available, it's what's best, but you have to do your part. And by the way, Let's say I'm going out. Now let's say I'm 
a young fellow, I'm 26, 27, I say, this is crazy, this money and the dating and it's nonsense. Hashem, you send it to me, I'm sitting in the base medish. When you're ready, I'm ready, and I sit down. What do you think is going to happen? So I'd like to share with you, most likely I'm going to remain single for as long as I keep up that attitude. But Bashared, Bashared, 40 days before the Bito Show, Plony, Laplony, Hashem decrees who's to whom? That's very true. 40 days before the person is born, Hashem says, the daughter of so-and-so is proper, is accessible, is available to you. That's the right one. But you have to do your part. To get married, you have to go out there, you have to do your shtadlis. And if you say, Hashem, I'm, count me out of this, you take care of it, guess what? You're not doing your part, and all bets are off. Most likely what's going to happen is you're not going to get married. Turn a living, you have to get a job to get married... You have to go out to stay healthy, you have to eat right, and you have to exercise, because that's the derech teva, and ultimately that's what Hashem wants. Once you've done the derech teva, then you take your heavy load, transfer it to Hashem, and say, Hashem, you're in charge. You determine every outcome, and you define what's supposed to be, I rely on you. There's only one caveat that you have to remember, and that is that it's a derech teva as defined by the Torah. And I'll explain to you what I mean. Imagine I have a very successful electronic store. Matter of fact, it's a chain of stores, 10 stores, and I'm making money hand over fist. One day, the CFO comes in and says, listen, boss, i got to tell you, you know, the Internet has been cutting into our sales like crazy. Amazon is destroying us. I know you have this policy about not being open on Saturday, but boss, it's going to kill us. I'm telling you, we're going bankrupt. Unless you keep the stores open on Saturday, we're finished. We're done. Okay, listen, I have to do the derech hateva, right? My CFO told me, if I don't keep the stores open, we're going bankrupt. The Torah says, I have to act with derech hateva, so I have to keep the stores open, right? Only one technical little problem. The Torah said, work for six days and not on the seventh. I can't say I'm using the world, in the ways of the world, the way Hashem wants me, when Hashem said clearly, don't do it. It's derech teva as defined by the Torah. That means to say, earn a living, you have to work. You have to work very diligently, very focused. But there are also other responsibilities. If you're a man, you have to be a father and a husband, you have to have time to learn, you have to have time for dominating. You have to have a very serious establish, but there are other responsibilities. There's a thing called Shabbos, there's a thing called learning, and you have to know that the Torah defines what the derech teva is. It's a derech teva as defined by the Torah. But once you've defined that, and once you know what it is, you do your part with energy, with zeal, and you take your heavy load and you transfer to Hashem. You say, Hashem, you know better than I. Hashem, I know that you love me more than I love me, and I know that you know better than I what's for my best. And with a calm equanimity, you say, every outcome is up to Hashem. Hashem, you're in charge. And if you like to know the test of bitachon, there are two very simple tests for bitachon. The first one, ladies, I think you'll identify with very well. Have any of you ever experienced something called anxiety? <laughs> How am I going to pay bills? How am I going to do it? When am I going to marry? What about this guy? Maybe he's going to drop me. Okay, <clears throat> I'd like to share with you, anxiety is a lack of bitachon. If I know that Hashem determines every outcome, if I know that Hashem loves me more than I love me, if I know that Hashem knows better than I what's my best, how's the fear, how's their anxiety, how's their dread? Now make no mistake, we're all going to feel fear. 
we're all going to feel anxiety, but that's when it's time to get to work. When I'm feeling scared, that's when it's time for me to say, I get it. Now it's time to work. I'm a human being, and now I have to grow. Now I have to rise to the occasion. I have to master this. I have to get past it. I have to work on myself. We're going to feel the fear, but the fear is the first indicator that it's time to work on bitachon. But there's a second test of bitachon that I think is even more important. And and to share that with you, let me share with you a little story. I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and I felt a big part of a high school Rebbe's job was clearly to teach guys how to learn, but to teach them about life. And because of that, I read extensively. I would read regularly, and my kids used to joke that Amazon delivers twice a week. It's like that. Anyway, this was many years ago, and I found out that Amazon was going public. I was incredibly impressed. It was then the largest bookstore on earth, and I was incredibly impressed on time, every time exactly as promised. I said to my wife, you know, I read Amazon's going public, and I'd like to invest in the IPO. Now, we were young. We were, you know, married a couple of years there. Money was definitely an an issue. And I said, I'd like to take $2,000 and buy $2,000, the initial public offering. My wife said, fine. You think it's a good investment? Go for it. Okay. So I was going to, the next day, I was going to invest $2,000. And that night, my wife opens Newsweek. And in the back, there's an article about this up-and-coming Amazon offering. Jeff Bezos has a million dollars in personal credit card debt. There's never been a model for this. He's asking $15 a share. It's outrageous. On and on, the article ragged against the IPO. My wife brought me the article and said, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. You tell me. What do you want to do? She said, I don't know. I'm afraid. I said, okay. So I didn't. I did not invest. Okay. Let's say I had taken that $2,000 and bought the IPO of Amazon then and held it till now. Those $2,000 today would be worth about $5.7 million. Ah, shucks. Ah, shucks is a lack of bitachon. You see, if I accept the fact that Hashem determines how much money I'm going to make on Rosh Hashanah, that means I accept the fact that Hashem determines how much money I'm going to make on Rosh Hashanah. Meaning the fact that my wife read Newsweek and that Time magazine had a very different take on it. The fact that she read the business section, which she never reads, Bechlal, and the fact that it was the night before I was going to invest, that's Hashem directing me, because guess what? For whatever which reason, that amount of money wasn't destined to me, wasn't good for me, wasn't in the cards. But you see, a person with real betochen never has regrets. Oh, I should have bought real estate. Oh, I should have done this. I should have married that guy. I should have done... I should have... Now, let me be very clear. If I'm not prudent, if I'm not careful, there should be a lot of regret. If I take a large sum of money and recklessly invest it without paying attention, then I should say, ah, shucks, because ah, shucks, I did a terrible ishtanlis. But assuming that I was prudent, assuming that I was wise, I asked the best advice I could at the time. I put my head on, and I really put it together to the best of my ability. It's at that point that I say the words, Hashem, you're the one that determines the outcome. No regrets, no ashoks. Regret doesn't belong in the vernacular of a Baal Bitochen. Now, we're going to feel regret as we feel anxiety, but that's the time to get to work. When I feel the regret, when I feel that sense of ashoks, that's when I'm supposed to say, I get it. It's time to work on my Bitochen. Assuming I did my right Ishtadlis, that's the time. And ladies, I want to share with you that this yesod is one of the most important yesod in every decision you'll ever make in life. 
There will come a time, I guarantee, when you're going to have to make a decision that is going to be very, very difficult. I'll give you an illustration. Your mother is getting on in age. Imagine you're a different part of life. And your mother's in her 80s. And a doctor says, I'm not sure what to tell you. If we operate, she might just die on the operating table. If we don't operate, she might just die. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. Operate or don't operate. So you consult with another medical professional. Another, another. And they all say, there's a risk on either way. I don't know what to tell you. Now here's the problem. You cannot make the right decision. You can't because you don't know. At that point, you have to make the best decision that you can. You consult with the best medical knowledge available. You bring in your Das Torah, and you make a decision, and then you say the words, I cannot make the right decision. I'm not obligated to make the right decision. It's well beyond my capacity. The only thing I can do, the only thing I'm obligated to do, is to make the best decision I can with the information in front of me. You make your decision, you take your heavy load, and you transfer to Hashem. And you know that if your mother lives, it's because Hashem determined she'll live, and if not, it's because Hashem determined I did my part. My part was to use the world in the ways of the world. I can't make this decision. I don't know the future. I'm not a Navi. I'm not creator of the heavens and the earth. I'm but a boss of a dumb. There'll be many decisions where you recognize I cannot make the right decision, but you're not obligated to make the right decision. You're obligated to make the best decision you can, and then you take your heavy load, you transfer to Hashem. And this is the ishtadlis that a person has to have for every endeavor in life, in every situation in life. <clears throat> I have to go b'derech ha knowing that exactly what Hashem wants is what's going to be. Okay, now, ladies, only because we're on the topic now, so what does this have to do with dating? What is the right ishtadlis for dating? So I'll make it very clear. The right ishtadlis is to look for your bashert. That's simple, right? But here's the problem. I haven't met the person yet. Well, my daughter. There's only one person I actually found who was looking for a bashert, and Baruch Hashem, she had a very easy time getting married. You see, the vast majority of people do not look for their bashert. <clears throat> what they do is they create this image. I know what I need. This is my personality. And I need someone outgoing or introverted, timid or bold, someone funny, someone not so funny, someone very responsible. I know what I need. And then they go out into the marketplace to find that person. And guess what? They're not looking for their bashert. What they're doing is they're creating an image. I like to call it they're creating their Mr. Potato Head. You know Mr. Potato Head? You pick the eyes and the feet and and you arrange it. They make their Mr. Potato Head. I need somebody smart, not so smart, so funny, tall, not so tall. I know exact. I know my nature. I know my and I know what I need. So <clears throat> this is what I need. And then they go out in the marketplace to find the one that comes closest to their Mr. Potato Head. But guess what? That's not looking for your bashert. <clears throat> That's creating an image in your mind and looking for the one that comes closest. Your bashert is the one that Hashem determined for you. But how do I know? <laughs> how do I know? There's a very simple process. You take the paper test, and then you take the Bashar test. And the paper test is before anyone meets anyone, on paper, are you guys aligned? Are you looking for the same type of lifestyle? In big, broad brushstrokes, are you looking to bring up the same sort of family? Are you pretty much aligned in Ashkafas? But not on the details, but in broad strokes, are you guys looking to bring up the same sort of family, the same sort of house? Are you aligned?
You also, in the paper test, look for things that you're not going to see on a date. Any skeletons in the closet, maybe if there's mental illness, if there's certain psychological imbalances, things that you won't notice. You're not going to see that he's depressed on a date. You're not going to see his OCD. You're not going to see the anxiety. Those are things you look for in the paper test. Once he passes the paper test, then you take the Bashar test. And this is where the vast majority of people mess up. You see, the Bashar test is the most intuitive, instinctive test you could ever imagine. You go out and you see if there's a certain commonality, a certain comfort level, a certain, it just sort of, I don't know, the conversations flow. I look forward to the date. My Rebbe, the Shiva Zetal, I learned to have a time, I believe it's over and over and over. And the Shiva would ask us this question, do you look forward to the date? Do you enjoy our company? Does the conversation just sort of work? What you're looking for is your Bashert. Your Bashert is not rockets on the 4th of July. I'm madly, passionately in love. She's perfect. She may not be the best girl in Brooklyn. He may not be the best guy in Lakewood. You're looking for the one that Hashem determined is right. How do you know? You take the paper test, and then you take the Bashert test. And the Bashert test is very intuitive. It just sort of feels comfortable. It just sort of feels right. But he's not the kind of guy I wanted. He's not the kind of guy I was looking for. Well, guess what? You have to leave your Mr. Potato Head at home. Because you're not looking for your Mr. Potato Head. You're looking for your Bashert. And guess what? You don't know what he looks like. Tall or short, fat or skinny, funny or not funny. Because I'll let you in a little secret. You really don't know what you need. Um, I've spent the past 15 years, we're going to discuss this in the next year. I've spent the last 15 years, I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. I wrote the book, The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes, because of the ten really dumb mistakes that I found hundreds and hundreds of couples making. And when they come in front of me, and I say to myself, what are you guys doing? And one of the first secrets you discover is, that which you thought you needed when you were single, guess what? You find out very quickly once you're married, it had no connection to what you needed. There are some jobs that are better left to Hashem. Don't make you Mr. Potato Head. You just go out there and look for the one that Hashem did. But how do I know? You take the paper test, and then you take the Bashar test. The Bashar test is instinctive. It just feels right. You mean I'm going to be in love? No. You may not even be infatuated. But how can I get engaged if I'm not infatuated? Because love in the marriage is not infatuation grown up. Infatuation is this kind of chemical... Chemicals go off in the brain and you get this la-la land sense. By the way, the couples that get me most scared are the ones that are infatuated. I've dealt with many, many couples who when they got married were infatuated over the moon. And their marriage is pretty rocky. And I've dealt with many, many marriages where there were very little infatuation, but they're beautiful marriages. Because love in the marriage is not infatuation grown up. And again, next session, Sunday night, we'll discuss that more at length. But this is the point. You're looking for your bashert. You don't know if he's tall or short, fat or skinny, funny or not, timid or bold, intelligent or not, but you're going to take the bashert test. Does it sort of flow? Do you feel comfortable? Do you spend time with him and you enjoy it and you look forward to seeing him? That's the bashert test. If you spend hour after hour after hour with a person and you enjoy the company and just sort of, guess what? That's the simon that this is the right one. That you guys just sort of fit together. But I'm not madly, passionately in love. I'm not infatuated even. Right. And that's something that comes after marriage. It's something you work on. You're right now looking for compatibility. And the key to that is to take the Bashar test. Do you enjoy his company? Does it sort of flow? Does it go well? 
these two Gemaras seem to be a contradiction. The Gemara tells us <clears throat> exactly how much money, exactly how much money you're going to make on Rosh Hashanah, and yet the Gemara says four things need Chizik. How could that be? <clears throat> the exact dollar amount I'm going to make is set on Rosh Hashanah. Why do I need Chizik? I get it. Why I need Chizik in, in Torah, in Tefillah, in Gemilas Chasadim. But Derech Eretz means earning a living. Why do I have to be Mechazik myself? Why do I have to go out there early in the morning and work with vim and vigor? Shem determines how much money I'm supposed to make. The answer is we have to understand Hashem's role and we have to understand our role. Hashem is the master of creation and the one who orchestrates every activity under the sun. As the Sefer Chinuch says, I can't take revenge. Why does the Torah tell me not to take revenge? Because I'm imputing power to man that he doesn't have. If I take revenge, I'm pretending that you can harm me. And the underpinnings of our immune system is knowing no human being can harm me, no human being can help me. You could scheme, you can dream, but you can't enter. I walk with that loose sight bubble. You could try to throw rocks, but Hashem is there, and you can't enter. And as you can't harm me, you can't help me either. You could be rich, you could be the head of Sloan Kettering. If my time is up, my time is up. And so much so that I have to know that if you insult me, I have to know how to take an insult. The Chavaz of teaches us. I have to raise my eyes heavenwards and say, thank you, Hashem, for revealing a few of my many flaws. Why? Because I know there's someone speaking into the mic. Yes, there's a loudspeaker. But if I speak into the mic and you hear the words from the loudspeaker, you're not going to go over to the loudspeaker and punch in the subwoofer. I have to know that the person who came over to me was directed to me by Hashem. If it hadn't been him, I would have dropped a hot plate of hot soup. I would have tripped. But that exact pain was brought to me. Every outcome is determined by Hashem. That's Hashem's role in the equation. And what's our role? As Rabbein Machai teaches us, the Teva was given exact dimensions. Why were we taught that? And because Noah couldn't possibly build a Teva large enough to house all the animals in creation. But Hashem said, you can't not do anything. You have to do as much as you can. 300 amas long, 50 amas wide, 30 amas tall. That's as much as we could expect. Once you've exhausted the Derech Teva, then you could rely on the Nais. And that's why when Yeshua went into Eretzrol, He told the soldiers, prepare for battle, put on your armor, sharpen your swords, get ready. Even though it was going to be miracles against giants living in fortified cities, you have to go with Derech HaTeva, and only once you've exhausted Derech HaTeva can you rely on the miracle. And that's why when Hashem told Shmuel, go anoint one of Yishai's son, and Shmuel said, I can't. Eich Eilech, V'sham Vargeni. The reason Hashem didn't blast him, because that was correct. Even when Hashem tells a Novi to do something, the Novi is now going to go into a Makam Sakana, it was dangerous, because we have to go with Derech HaTeva, and only once you've exhausted a Derech HaTeva are you allowed to rely on the miracle. If you want to know the answer to two Gemaras, the answer really is quite simple. It's like watching those two actors, they're going through a choreographed fight scene. If I see them slapping each other in the back ten minutes later behind stage, that's because they were just going through the motions. When I go into the workforce, you have to see a man focused a man very, very diligent, very diligent in what he's doing. And I have to know all the while that exactly the outcome that Hashem has determined is what's going to be. Not a penny more, not a penny less. That's how I do my shtadlis for work. That's how I do my shtadlis when it comes to going out. That's how I do my shtadlis for staying healthy. That's the shtadlis I have to do. I have to use the world and the ways of the world as bracketed, as defined by the Torah. The Torah is very clear, delimitations, very clear directives. I have to live my life according to the Torah in the Derech HaTeva. Once I've done that, I take my heavy load, I transfer to Hashem. I say, Hashem, you're in charge. You determine every outcome. That's how I earn my living. That's how I go out. 
When it's time to go out, I take the paper test, then I take the Bashar test, because that's the Shtadlis that I'm supposed to do, and I know that Hashem determined who's the right one. I know Hashem loves me more than I love me, and I know that Hashem knows better than I what's my best. And before we take questions, I'd like to close with one very interesting story. A fellow was going out with a young woman, and this was the second round, meaning they had gone out already 14 times or so, and they broke up, and a year later they went out again, and again they went out a bunch of times, and he didn't know what to do. And he said, Rabbi, we've we got to talk, we've got to talk. So I said, fine, I'm, I'm giving a shear somewhere, you'll drive me, and we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk. We're talking, we're talking, and I asked him these questions. Do you enjoy a company? And Do you feel right? He said, I do, but I'm not sure. I enjoy, but I do, I do, I don't, I do, I don't, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. So I said to him, here's the problem. And the problem here is that I can't tell. It sounds on the one hand like she's the right one for you, but on the other hand, there's something that clearly is bothering you. What we need here is we need Elio Novi. If we had Elio Novi here, we'd say, this is the one that's your bashert, or he'd say it's not the right one. The problem is we don't have Elio Novi. In a quiet voice, he says to me, I know what Elio Novi would say. He would tell me she's the right one. But that's the problem. I'm angry with Hashem for it. And I said, Oi, Hashem Yerachim, do you hear what you just said? I know she's the right one, but it's not my image, not what I wanted, not my Miss Potato Head that I created in the lab. And I'm angry at Hashem because I know it's the right one, but I know better than God. That last part he didn't say, but that's exactly what he was saying. There are some jobs that are better left to Hashem, and one of them is finding the right person. And when you do your job, you take the paper test, you take the Bashar test, and you get to that point, and you say to yourself, well, how do I know? I asked advice. It seems to be the right, but I'm not in love. You're not supposed to be in love. But I can't be certain, and it's a big deal. It's a big decision I'm going to make. How do you know? And the answer is you don't know. You can't make the right decision. I'll make it very clear. Do you know what you're going to be like 40 years from now? When you marry this person, you're getting married for life. Now let's assume you're 25, you're 30 now, whatever your age may be. You're making this decision for the next 40 years, for the next 50 years. Do you know what you're going to be like in 40 years? Do you know what he's going to be like? You cannot make the right decision. You don't know men. You likely don't know yourself. You certainly don't know marriage. You certainly don't know the intricacies of it. But even if you did, you don't know where you're going to be 20 years from now, 30 years, 40 years from now. There are certain decisions that are just above our pay scale. You cannot make the right decision, but you're not obligated. You're not asked to make the right decision. You're asked to make the best decision that you can. You gather the information you take the paper test, you take the Bashar test, you enjoy his company, it seems to be going well, you look forward to the dates, and then you close your eyes and you take that plunge. You say, Hashem, I've done my part. Now it's up to you, I trust you, I rely on you, you love me more than I love me, you know better than I, you take the plunge, and Hashem helps. Okay, now let's open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. For or against? Miss Moderator, you take over. Okay, we have a few that came in. Um, anybody who wants to go live, have a question you want to ask out loud, just hit the raise hand thing. We would love to hear a live question. Yes. Um, okay, so try and decide which order to go in. So let's go to the beginning of the class. Somebody asked, if someone did make a bad decision, isn't it by sure? Isn't it be tough to believe that it was meant to happen? Where does the guilt come in? 
Oh, where does guilt come? Okay, so <clears throat> you see, here's a difficult part to determine. <clears throat> was it a responsible decision or an irresponsible decision? Meaning, <clears throat> if a person made the best decision that they could at the time with the information that they had, there's no regrets, there's no harata, there's no guilt. I had X amount of information, <clears throat> I made a prudent, wise decision, and guess what? It was wrong. Uh-uh, it wasn't wrong. That's what Hashem wanted, I'm fine. If I was reckless, if I wasn't careful, again, I did something really without thinking. I took $10,000 invested in some stock because somebody's mentioned in the morning, yeah, there should be an awful lot of guilt because, ah, oh, shucks, I made a stupid mistake. I wasn't wise, I wasn't careful, I wasn't prudent, I didn't do my ishtadlis. But if you did your ishtadlis, but ishtadlis doesn't mean better than what I could do. Ishtadlis doesn't mean making the right decision. Ishtadlis means doing the best I can do with the tools that I have, and then I know that Hashem determines what's going to be. And if I found out that I made the wrong decision, well, guess what? I did my part. And Hashem knows that this is the right decision, even though right now I don't see it that way, even though it turned out badly in my mind's eye. Well, guess what? Hashem has a much broader vision, and Hashem knows the big picture. And maybe I wasn't supposed to invest in Amazon, and maybe I was whatever the reason is. Okay. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Good. I think so. um, okay. Um, don't some people, this is about Shadokhim, um, don't some people hold that the only thing you need to do for Shadokhim and Shadokhim is to daven? They're talking about predating. Yes. Some people say that, but they're not Jewish. Can you clarify? Yeah. Jewish people, are, are amazing. and Torah uh, knowledgeable people don't say that. If someone's ignorant, they say that. If you, if all you do is daven and you don't go out, you don't speak to shatranim, you don't put your whatever, then guess what? You're doing a horrible, terrible ishtad. That's not called ishtadlus. That's like I'm going to earn a living. Hashem, bring me the money. Hashem, I'll wait. I'll wait. I got lots of patience, Hashem, and you got lots of money. I'll wait. Hashem, deliver it, please. Guess what? Hashem says you have to act with derechateva to earn a living. You get a job. When it's time to get married, you go out. Going out means you have to do the shtadlis. Now, you don't have to go crazy, but you do have to speak to Shadchanim, and you have to go to an event, whatever it may be, whatever is considered the normal shtadlis. And if you just say, ah, oh, I'm just going to daven, Hashem will take care of you. You're very nice. But it's not called shtadlis. You're not doing your shtadlis. And again, that's like with me with the talus on my head, and I hear the baskol. Bashert doesn't mean it's going to happen. Bashert means it should happen. It's appropriate. It's right. It's accessible. It's available. But you've got to do your part. If you don't do your part, then guess what? Forget it. It's not going to happen. But Bashar means that Hashem makes it available, provided you do your part. You have to use the world in the ways of the world. To get married, you have to go out. And if you're not going to go out, and oh, wait Hashem brings them to me, okay, good luck. Let's see how that uh, how that works for you. So the, um, this person asked, um, so then what I, is the appropriate There's always one more Shadchan to call, to meet. There, she's not talking about actual dating. She's talking about shatchanim and stuff like that. Right. Okay. So here, here too, there's a, there's a balanced approach. Meaning, let's let's go to work for a minute, all right? I have to support a kid. Imagine I have six kids and I have tuition and I have a mortgage. And I, so I, I, got a 16, I have to work 16 hours a day. I have to sleep under my desk. Guess what? That's not called the right ishtandas. There's a balanced approach. Hashem wants me to use the world and the ways of the world as bracketed by the Torah, there are many responsibilities outside of work. So too when it comes to Ishtadlis or Shaduchim. There has to be a normal amount of Ishtadlis that you do. 
You have to speak to Shatran. I mean, every Shatran on the planet? Certainly not. I mean, one a year? Also not right. <clears throat> There's a certain balance. There's a, Hashem gives a person a Seichel Yashar, and you have to follow <clears throat> what seems to be a balanced approach. You have to speak to Shatranim, you have to be active, you have to speak to people. You don't have to go crazy, and you're right, there's always one more. You, you don't have to spend all night you know, drilling through every Shatran. But on the other hand, you can't just do nothing. You have to do what's considered a balanced, normal approach, which means you have to be Mishtadl. Is that clear? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I apologize if I'm too direct. I, I, I'm sorry about being too honest and too open. The problem is I see people all the time after they do the things that cause them so much trouble. So you'll excuse me for being, for feeling the frustration of watching people do really dumb things, including poor Stalos. But I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, somebody asked with the Bashar test, how do you know if you're being real with yourself through doing the Bashar test? A lot of times during dating, it all gets mushed together. Yeah, it's very important to have someone else that you speak to. Preferably someone much older and wiser. Uh, I'm a big fan. You, you should have Das Torah for anything. If you don't have a Rav, maybe a Rebetzin, or certainly at least a dating coach, someone who is older and wiser. And the main, by the way, when people come to me with these questions, there's one job that I'm there to do, to tease out what's really going on in the person's heart. Meaning, what are you really feeling? Do you really feel comfortable with the guy, but you have certain preconceived notions that are preventing you? Do you really feel he's the right one, but you're nervous about what this one's going to say, that one say? Or is there really something that's not there? So the job of the outside person is to help you clarify what you're really feeling. But again, it's, it's, it's very important and very wise to have somebody that you discuss this with, because it, it's very difficult to be objective. We're all human beings. We're all very, very biased. And to have someone who's older and wiser, who's outside of you, to sort of bounce these things off and help you tease it out is a very important part of the clarity that you'll get. Okay. Um, it seems like otherwise everybody's pretty clear. Anybody, last-minute questions, live questions? Anybody who's brave enough to go live? Brave enough to raise your hand. By the way, it can be on any topic. Could be about this topic. Wait, somebody just submitted one. But again, afterward, ask this question. Any topic, anybody, raise your hand, go live with it. How do you really know what you really need? What if you think you need a specific quality because you see it brings out something good in you? The laundry list. Everyone's got the laundry list. I need this and this and this and this. This I can pass on this and that. This is what I need. So I'll let you in a secret. Um... Can I be honest, or am I supposed to be um, very politically correct? Be honest. Oh, honest? Oh, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. If anybody tells me they fundamentally understand the opposite gender, I say to them, I've been in this business. Berksham, we're married just about 35 years. Two days from now, Thursday, is our 35th wedding anniversary. I love my wife. My wife loves me. We have a beautiful marriage. I'd like to let you know a secret. After 15 years of marriage, I started getting a lot of problems. You know, guys came to me as their dastora, and they came to me with problems in marriage. And I realized I knew nothing about this institution called marriage. I was married, and at Barsham, things work well. But if you understand when things start going the wrong way, and understanding what the, I began studying and studying. When I say studying, I mean I read every 
every sefer I could get my hand on. I read Kimat every well-known secular marriage book. I talked to marriage therapists. I spoke to Rabbanim. I spoke to... After 15 years later, fast forward, I now feel I have a grip on what a marriage needs. But let me share with you something that I find absolutely amazing. To this day, I'm constantly discovering chedushim in the opposite gender. I say, oh my goodness, now I understand why my wife da-da-da-da-da. But I'm married 35 years. Because men are so vastly different than women. They're not from different planets, different universes, different galaxies, not parallel universes. Like, so different in emotionality, in the way they communicate, what they value. I can't describe the differences. So number one, I guarantee that you do not know the male gender. I also would like to take a bet. You don't really know yourself that well. Everyone knows themselves until they get married. And so, by the way, I knew everything there was to know about marriage until I got married. And everyone knows exactly about themselves until they get married, and suddenly they discover they didn't have a clue. Number one, you don't know the male gender. And number two, honestly, you really don't know yourself. Number three, I guarantee you do not know marriage. Oh, I have a master's degree in psychology. I guarantee until you've been married for many years and studied this institution and recognize how it works and how it functions and what tools that bond and what the relationship needs, I guarantee you don't fundamentally understand marriage. But even if I'll grant you, you know yourself, you know the opposite gender, you know marriage, do you know where you're going to be 20 years from now? Do you know how you're going to develop? Do you know how he's going to develop? Do you know where you're going to be 30 years from now? Do you know where you're going to be 40 years from now? But okay, let's grant you know yourself you know the opposite gender, you understand fundamentally marriage, and you have clear prophecy, you know exactly where you're going to be 20, 30 years from now, you know exactly where he's going to be, here's the next step. How many eligible guys are there in your... Right? Imagine that you could go, let's say, four or five years um, one way or the other. So <clears throat> let's do the math. I know a few years ago they said that the graduating class in, in high schools... There were basically, in the New York City area, there were approximately 100,000 uh, in, in the from high schools in, in New York. So 100,000. So that means to say, let's say 50,000 boys, 50,000 girls, right? All within a four-year a four span. So let's assume for a moment that there are at least 50,000 guys in the New York City area who might be eligible. Now let's drop 25,000 because they're not from enough or not intelligent or whatever it may be. We're left with 25,000. Okay, but here's the next problem. And the problem is there's also London, there's also Yerushalayim, there's also Chicago, there's also L.A. If you think about the potential amount of guys, it's easily, uh, it, believe me, it's going to be well over 10,000, 20,000, 40,000. Okay, whatever the exact number, let's do the math. Let's assume you go out with one guy a week, one new guy a week. That's 50 guys a year. Every two years, it's 100 guys. Every 10 years, it's 500 guys. How long is it going to take you to cycle through the 10,000 guys, 20,000 guys, or 40 that might be eligible for you? If you knew yourself, you knew the opposite gender, you understood marriage, and you understood where you're going to be 20 years, 30 years, because you have Navua, the odds of your finding the right one is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Certain jobs are better off left to Hashem. One of them is finding a Bashert. So if you want to know what you're looking for, leave your laundry list at home. 
Don't look at your laundry list. You're looking for the right one. But what does he look like? It's just a natural feeling. I don't know if he's smart or dumb, or but there's an intuitive sense. Believe me, if he's not smart enough, you're not going to enjoy his company. If he's not the right match, you're going to be bored or just get me out of here. The fact that it's a number of dates, five dates, ten dates, and they're long, and you really enjoy his company, and it's still going, and you like to be there, guess what? That's the sign that it's the right one. Even if he's not your Mr. Potato Head, even if he doesn't catch exactly your your description, your definition, trust Hashem. Hashem is better at certain jobs than us, like every job, but certain jobs are pretty clear. This is one of them. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry, that wasn't, that wasn't politically correct. I know, I'm sorry. But... No, it's, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so everybody's getting fired up by the Shadokan questions. We're getting questions in. Um, okay. Which one to go with? Um, okay, is this just to piggyback on what we're just discussing? Um, I understand that you don't know for sure what you need, but there are times on dates where you feel more like yourself or when you're with someone with specific qualities you find brings the, out the best in you. Is that something you can look for? I don't know what the best in you means because you you want to know if you're comfortable, it feels right, it brings out the best. I don't know what the best means. And, and, and it's so fake anyway. What does the best mean? Under these very limited circumstances, by the way, ask anybody who's happily married two years after they married the following question. The person that you dated, is that the same person you're married to? Absolutely not. No one, no one I've asked that question to has yet said to me, yes, the person I'm married to is the person I was going out with. Everyone says, no connection. Baruch Hashem, I'm very happy, it's very good, but it's no connection. Now why, how could that be? What's shot? How could that be? You know how that could be? It's really quite simple. You're putting out your best face. He's putting out his best face. You're all so polite. You're all in your best behavior. Guess what? When someone's nice to you, you act nice. He's nice. You're nice. And before you know it, you're starting. And things are just... Then you get married, and all of a sudden, the real people start coming out. And we're all nice, but, you know, we have our good moments and our bad moments. We're not always... And before you know it, excuse me, the person that you married was not the person you dated. So, if you're here to tell me you know what you need, or he brings out the best in me, or he doesn't bring out the best in me, I'd like to share with you, do yourself a favor. Use the Bashert system. The Bashert system is, I don't know what I need. <clears throat> Hashem does. I'm looking for the right one, but how do I know if he's the right one? I know if it just feels intuitively right. It just feels like it's, it just feels comfortable. You mean, you mean in, in love? No. Rockets on the 4th of July? No. It's just, you know, again, I, I'll ask people on a regular basis, you went out ten times, right? How long were the dates? Five hours, six hours, eight hours. What in the world did you talk about? Could you imagine anybody from the opposite gender? Now, don't tell me your girlfriends. I know your girlfriends, you could talk for hours and hours and hours. Find me a guy who can talk more than an hour with anybody. And if you tell me more than an hour, two hours for sure. But if a guy and a girl get together and they're able to talk for hour after hour, do you understand how little they have in common really? How is it possible that eight hours and it seems to just fly and it just, it just feels so natural? And the answer is there's a certain chemistry there. Now, chemistry doesn't mean mad, passionate love. Chemistry means just the right fit. But how do I know if it's... Because that's exactly the simon. If you're comfortable hour after hour and you're not bored and you don't want to go home, give me... A, what does that tell you? 
it tells you there's a certain natural affinity, a certain natural inclination that you have towards each other, and guess what? That's exactly what you're looking for. Okay. Um, the other question was, can anyone technically marry anyone, or is there something that needs to be there between two people? Anybody can marry anybody. It's a good thing Hashem runs the world, right? Anybody could marry anybody, probably. It's a good thing God runs the world, not you and me. What does that mean? It means it just happens to be that he's in the right mood and she's in the right mood. Um, I know a guy, he said to me, uh, I spoke at the Shev Brachas, and I spoke about Basharit, the Zashkacha, and he said, uh, you know, Rabbi, it's interesting to say it because it's not true. In our case, there was no Ashkacha. Quite the opposite. <clears throat> I, I was I was interested in her, and she wasn't interested in me at all, and I, I had to chase her. I said, nah, do best. That's your personality. The only the reason she became precious, and the reason you wanted her, was exactly for that reason. Hashem had to orchestrate it, to put a Mishigas in her head, that you're whatever, and she wanted to drop you. And the minute she wanted to drop you, suddenly she became precious. And that's the way Hashem orchestrates the world. You trust your Creator. In other words, you have to rely on Hashem, you have to take the paper test, you take the Bashar test, and you rely on Hashem to brought you to the right one. Could you marry the wrong one? If you use your own seichel, probably, but that's why you're better off trusting Hashem and, you know, use Him to rely on your Creator to bring you to the right one. Okay. Um... Somebody. So, this is about the Shidduch question. So, another Shidduch question, but I just want to go back to this, a different question that was mm-hmm. more about Ishtalis. So I want to wrap that up first before we go more into other Shidduch questions. Um, question came in that said The four things from the beginning of the class in Yukazan Chizok, what is the Chizok we practice and do in these areas? Okay, I mean, and so again, it's. Torah, Tefillah, Maisim Tovim, and Derech Eretz. Torah, you, you, you know, I learn Musar every day. You learn Musar about the value of Torah, the importance of Torah. You have to realize I'm a Ben Olam Haba, I'm here for a few short years, and the incredible value of Torah. You have to think about it, you work on it, you think about it. And Tefillah, you have to think about what davening means. I'm speaking to Hashem. By the way, one of the greatest exercises of the Tefillah is watch short videos. There's On the shmooz.com, there's, a, there's the Wonders of the World uh, series, the three, four-minute videos about the wonders of Hashem's world. And when you study the African elephant, and you study the, the vastness of the universe, and you study an atom, you study a quark, you study the, the intestinal system, and you see the wisdom of our Creator, you want to sing sheer Shevachodah, but it requires chizik, it requires, you know, it requires taking pictures in your mind's eye of events in life, and it requires really working on it. And Masim Tovim requires feeling another Jew's pain, feeling another person's sorrow, putting myself out there for them, and again, it requires chizik. Derech Eretz requires focused, diligent labor, and getting out in the marketplace, working very hard, remembering that Hashem runs the world, but my job is to do my ishtadlis. So I guess that's the ishtadlis we do in each of the each of the areas. Okay. Um, so another question that came out of is um, talking about this being comfortable in my feels right. When are you meant to feel that natural comfortable feeling? Is there a certain amount of dates you need to give it before you can expect that or say no? Okay, so the key that you're looking for is are things progressing? In other words, meaning are they getting better? It doesn't mean they're, they're, they're wow. Just, is it, you see, invariably what happens is they either progress or they start regressing. 
You know, the minute you feel, I'd much rather be somewhere else than here, now you know it's time to seriously think about saying no. Um, as long as you feel I'm enjoying the company and, and it's fun and I'm looking forward to the dates, you have to continue. And you'll find as you go out more, they either progress and things get more and more comfortable, more natural, or the opposite. You start getting bored, you start realizing I'd rather get me out of here, Let's, could, I, could I do something else? If you'd rather be doing laundry than being on a date, you, that's, that's exactly the sign. That's when it's time to say no. But ladies, listen, a no has to be a no. If you're not sure, you have to continue because it might be right. A no has to be, I know for sure this is not the right How do I know it's for sure it's not the right one? Because I just don't want to be here. Like, he's a nice guy, but like, can we do something else? Could I, could I, again, if, you, if you'd rather study for a test, if you'd rather work than be on a date, if you'd rather, again, for sure laundry, if you'd rather do laundry than be on a date, that's, that's a no. But a no has to be a no. It's got to be a sense of this just... But not no because he's not smart enough, not tall enough, not good enough, not from enough. A no because I feel it's just not... We're not connecting. It's just, it's not... I don't enjoy his company. It's just like, I don't know, these conversations are like, get me out of here. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't prejudice the jury. You can't say, I really know he's right for me, but I need someone taller or smarter or richer or... Some, that's exactly what this guy did. I, I know she's my Bashar, but I'm angry at Hashem for it. Now, you can do that, and you could blow it, because Hashem doesn't handshackle you. Hashem doesn't handcuff you to any result. And if you could you could easily pass up the right one and say, he's not good. I need somebody frimmer, smarter, taller, and more successful, more polished. There's a whole laundry list of reasons to pass by your Bashar. But here's the question. Are you going to be happier if you did that, then if not. And I dare say, I don't think you're going to be happier. Um, okay, based on this question, um, if you thought you, if you thought the person was, um, they, I'm just going to like preface what I imagine is, beforehand, they, they hit the paper they hit all the checks with the paper test. And now, um, going out with him, you're seeing that um, values don't match up. Can you say no just for that? Okay, so it depends what that means. If we're talking major differences in values, then yes. For instance, he wants to learn in Colo for the next 10 years, and she only shops in Saks Fifth Avenue. We have a, uh, we got a conflict over there, guys. This is not going to, it ain't going to go. But most of the time, what you find is those conflicts are a minor picky you and things that in the end don't matter. Don't, you, know, you, you definitely need to ask these questions to someone outside. Hopefully a Dastora, a Rav, maybe a Rebetzin, someone who has a lot more life experience. Because many, many times people assume we're, we're, we're totally different Ashkafas, but the, what the differences are so minor and so trivial that they really don't matter, and especially many times those differences are really gender-based differences. <clears throat> you know, women definitely focus on things differently than men do in terms of their avodah Hashem, as they should. And a lot of times what happens is, I'll give you a good for instance. A guy says to me, you know, his wife, I, I can't respect her. She, uh, she spends an hour, before a wedding, she spends an hour with the makeup and the shaitel. It's such a man. How can I respect her? She's so into Gashmias. 
I say to him, Nar Dubist. That's the nature of a woman. If she doesn't do it, there's something wrong with her. But you can't judge her by your experience as a man. She got like you put on the same suit you wore all day and you go to a wedding, you just maybe brush your hat off or maybe don't. I get it. <clears throat> but if your wife gets dressed up for a wedding, that's what she should be doing. That's the feminine nature. That's what's natural to her. But if you're going to judge her by your standards, guess what? You're not being fair. So a lot of times, especially when you're dating, you know, women have things they focus on, men have things they focus on, and we're not compatible. Yeah, you're not compatible because it doesn't mean you're not compatible. You're looking at things from different perspectives. So, again, it's very wise to have an outside party give you some direction in terms of that. Okay, and so far we have one more question. Um, the question of if you do the shirt test um, and you, where does divorce come into that? Ah, where did divorce come into that? 80% of the gittin that are written today should not be written. If I had a dollar, if every time I said to my wife, they're a match made in heaven living in Gehenna, I'd be a wealthy man. Because, you see, the match is made in heaven, but it's your job to make the marriage. Hashem is mezavig zivugim, but if you blow it, if you act like a creep, she acts like... You're doing if you don't understand gender differences, you don't understand the relationship, you don't understand what the marriage needs. You have I know what I need. I know. Do me a favor before you get married, buy the ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. Next class, I was going to pitch it because I was going to really discuss it. But do me a personal favor, get a, get a hold of this copy. Get, get you can get it in the farm stores. You can get it on Amazon. You get it on the schmooze.com. You also get the audio book, the ebook, and the marriage transformation bootcamp as a free bonus. But when you go through this book, you know what you're going to find? You're going to get a fundamental understanding of marriage. And I guarantee when you go through it and you have a much better understanding of marriage, you're going to look for something totally different when you're going out. You're going to realize all the things I needed. I know what I need. I know my nature. I know what I need. Guess what? Very, very unlikely. Once you understand the marriage much more concretely and have a much better understanding of what a successful marriage needs, I think you'll have a much clearer vision of what you're looking for. The 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, it's available in firm stores, it's available on Amazon, but if you go to the schmooze.com, it's spelled T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, and you go to the schmooze.com, you get the hardcover uh, copy, free delivery, but you also get the, uh, you get the uh, audio book, the e-book, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp, so please do it, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. I believe it'll make your dating life much, much easier. Hopefully, quick and painless. Okay. Anybody else? Any last-minute questions? Going once, going twice. Sold. Yeah, I guess not. I guess everybody's clear. Looking forward to seeing you all on Sunday. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Rabbi Schaefer. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Thank you so much. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.